This is episode 61 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Rebecca Didier. Rebecca has worked for Trafalgar Square Books, the leading publisher of equestrian books and videos for more than 19 years. She currently serves as both managing editor and graphic designer, and her role in the company spans acquisitions, editorial, design, and marketing. She has worked with top writers, trainers, and equine experts from around the globe to bring their books to print. Rebecca has designed more than 200 book covers for the nonfiction, biography, memoir, and fiction genres, as well as packaging for videos, including the Telly Award-winning series, Seven Clinics with Buck Brenneman, from the director of the international hit feature film, Buck. She is co-author of the book, Dressage with Mind, Body, and Soul, with world-renowned animal behaviorist, Linda Tellington-Jones. Rebecca writes and rides whenever she can, splitting her time between Boston and Vermont. So let's get into the conversation with Rebecca. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horsebook authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horsebook. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horsebooks, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Rebecca Didier with me from Trafalgar Square Books. She's going to talk to us about the art of traditional publishing. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks, Carly. It's so great to be here. I'm really, really pleased to be able to talk to you and hopefully share some really valuable information with your listeners. I know you're going to. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I've, I've spoken with a lot of your authors. You have an excellent herd over there. And uh, <laughs> I'm constantly reading Trafalgar Square books because you publish the best horse books. So as a lot of my listeners know, how I always love to start these conversations off is just asking, how did your love affair with horses begin, Rebecca? This is a little bit of a funny story because I was not from a horsey family, either of my parents. I mean, that's pretty typical. I think you hear that from a lot of horse girls. But uh, my mother tells a story that when I was a baby, I, I used to have a framed print of an American Indian girl with her horse above my crib. And they would, whenever I was fussy, they would lay me in the crib and I would stare at that picture for hours. And that's really the only, you know, origin I can find for being horse crazy. We lived in central Florida in kind of a rural tract home and there weren't any horses anywhere near me. So that's where I think it began. And I uh, then proceeded to go to the library and read every horse book that I could. So there's the connection between horses and books that began really early. Mm -hmm. And I begged for, for riding lessons and my parents relented when I was five and that fanned the flames. So the arc proceeded from there as it usually does. <laughs> I love that. Yes. It's usually we're born with it out of the womb. We don't know where it comes from. Our parents don't know what to do with it because they're not horse people. No. And then <laughs> and then the horse books just add to yeah. that excitement about horses and then the riding lessons. And then did a horse enter your life or are there horses in your life now? So, you know, the very first horses, of course, were those great lesson ponies mm -hmm. and my lesson pony, my first lesson pony was named the same as I bet probably 50% of lesson ponies, but it was Misty. And uh, she was a Shetland pony and I was pretty much set loose at the first lesson barn where I was. And I just spent a lot of time trotting around by myself trying to figure out, you know, how you do these things. And then the, my first real pony that was actually mine who was given to me was also named Misty. So uh, a recurring presence. And uh, obviously I had read all the Marguerite Henry's at that point. So Misty of Chinookatique was very much uh, a horse that was part of my life from the very beginning. And currently I, I ride when I can. Uh, my colleague Martha at Trafalgar has two horses. So whenever I'm in Vermont, we go out, hit the trails or bum around in her arena. So I do it whenever I can, but I'm based in the city. So oh. a horse here is not, not, a possibility. I, I, un so. 
<laughs> I understand that. And uh, uh, yeah, so I lived in New York City for a while and and had to leave my horsey life behind. But thank heaven for horse books, right? They they pulled us through and they they keep us connected. And horsey friends, thank you to all the horsey friends out there yes. that, that take us thank for rides. And you work for Trafalgar Square Books. You joined them in 2002 as an editorial assistant. And today you manage authors and the editorial process on all titles. And, and you make the book trailers and you do all these amazing, you format the books. This is amazing. You also provide all in-house copy and design. So, so tell us about Trafalgar Square and the types of books you focus on publishing and the work that you do there. I mean, how did you marry your love of horse books to working at a horse book publisher? This is so exciting to learn about. Well, that was purely accidental. I was, I wanted to be a writer, a novelist, but I was mostly a bartender. So uh, I started looking for other jobs that might be of interest. And Trafalgar Square Books happened to post a position for an editorial assistant. And it was literally in my hometown. I applied. I find find out at that point that they published a book that I had in my possession at the time, Sally Swift's Centered Riding, which is the first horse book that Trafalgar Square Books ever published. Um, We published that in 1985. And once I found that out and I got the job, it was just a fit. I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, There was never any intention to, to work there or to publish horse books. I just happened to work out. So I count myself as very lucky in that. And in terms of the company itself, yeah, we've made our name ever since Centered Riding for publishing uh, practical how-to texts that generally are helping people either ride better or interact with their horses in a a clearer manner, uh, an informed communication between animal and human. Uh, We have a lot of horse care books as well. That's where we made our name. Uh, and these days, we've started to broaden our offerings, and we've done more bio, autobio, and memoir, which is you know more close to my heart and things that I really like to work on. Kind of what we're known for. We only have seven people, oh, wow. and, and wow. we publish twenty to twenty-five books a year, not just horse books. We have another a small arm of the company that focuses on other kinds of books. So my job really is to wear many hats. Whatever needs to be done has to get done by the people who have the ability within the company. And that's awesome because I'm never bored mm-hmm. and it's awful because there's never enough hours in the day. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's fun and it's challenging and it's also really exhausting sometimes. So <laughs> it is. And it, 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 yeah, small business, working in a small business yeah. is challenging. Yes. No, I didn't know that it was such a small staff. So good on mm-hmm. you for producing such amazing professional content and books and, and cultivating this incredible herd of really unique authors that write about horses and supporting horse books. I've interviewed many of Trafalgar Square's uh, authors on the show, and I'd love to use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about traditional publishing, because I, I think a lot of authors are curious about how the process works and what they need to consider when they're going into working with a traditional publisher. Uh, But first, I thought maybe we could set the table, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's the big publishing houses, and then there's smaller publishing houses like Trafalgar Square. Can can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two, like what you look for or or what an author would need uh, to work with you as opposed to a big publisher? Sure. You know, there used to be this, this this term, the big five, uh, it's used less now simply because the atmosphere has changed a little bit in publishing, but it really kind of summed up that there were these major big five publishers and that's who everybody wanted to work with. And if you were anybody in the literary world, you were published by those publishers. And that was also kind of the era of big New York publishing when there was lots and lots of money and the internet hadn't yet kind of played with uh, the hierarchy that was established by old school publishing. Those publishers still exist, but now there's lots of what are indie publishers, mm-hmm. okay? And there's the small publishers, there's specialty publishers. They focus on very often narrow areas of expertise or interest, and that allows them to actually bring to the table what they're good at. So, for example, Carolyn Robbins, who started Trafalgar, Martha Cook, and I are all horse people. So, our focus on horse books allows us to bring our experience with horses, our interest in horses to the books that we're helping to bring to the table. It's not just like at a big publisher where you might bring a horse book 
and the editor who works on your book might have no clue. You know, the, that's one of the differences. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, big publishers tend to have uh, a real distinct idea of which books are going to be their big heavy hitters from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And those are earmarked. And then they're going to have their smaller fare. It's still amazing. You were chosen. You're on their list, but you're not going to get the same sort of either, you know, financial backing or attention. And that usually happens to your your, your smaller names, uh, people who are a one-off uh, author, maybe somebody who has come out of nowhere and happened to have a book that was accepted, as opposed to an author who's already has some prestige. So I, I do know that I've talked to a couple of people who are with big houses and then said, yeah, but as soon as my book was there, they kind of forgot that I existed. Mm. And that's not that author's fault. That's just the lay of the land in a big publisher. We're talking thousands of employees sometimes. And your book moves from department to department. Uh, and at Trafalgar, I'm acquisitions, I'm editorial, I'm design, <laughs> I'm marketing, uh, and Martha, who helps handle all the things. I mean, you're with us all the way. And, and so we have to have a vested interest in every single book that we publish. That doesn't mean that indie publishing is necessarily the better fit. If you have a great book and you have interest from a major publisher, they obviously have much more muscle mm. to throw around. And like, for example, they get they are more likely to get big media attention than us. We really fight to get anybody to pay attention to us in the land of major media, you know, Today Show and things like that. And certainly other forms, like if you really want your book to become a movie or things like that, uh, a larger publisher would be probably more likely to make those sorts of dreams a reality than an indie publisher. Hmm. I, that, I mean, that is fascinating. I think you just recapped that so beautifully and perfect. And, and I what, what I love that you said is Trafalgar Square focuses on equestrians. It's equestrians helping equestrian authors write equestrian books for equestrians. So I would imagine that your reach within the horse community, you know, maybe, you know, reaching the Today Show is no doubt you could do it. But when it comes to the equestrian community, you have, you know, I imagine deep roots that can get your authors notice within our community. Would, is that accurate? I mean, that's what we've been working so hard to establish and nurture. I mean, uh, the fact that we are interested in this industry, mm -hmm. that we want to go to events, that we want to participate in symposiums and clinics and be part of the exchange of ideas about what's going on with both advances in training and riding and horse welfare. For example, we're now partnering with the Equus Foundation. We partner with Brook USA. Mm. We want to support uh, the right horse. These are groups that we, we care about horses. And so by being part of this community, we can then help our authors because we have relationships with all of these people and we want to nurture them. We care about them. We care about their causes. And then hopefully in return, they'll also care about the people that we're trying to present to other horse people. Yeah. And that, that's perfect. And that, and I loved meeting you. We first met at the American Horse uh, Publication Seminar in 2019 and you were so approachable and willing to talk and you you came to our uh, equine author meetup and you shared your insights on what it's like to work with Trafalgar Square in the traditional publishing realm and it was it was lovely it's so nice that that you were approachable because I think people think of traditional publishers and they're like afraid of of them or that they mm -hmm. might not be approachable you are very approachable and I just really wanted to acknowledge you for that and I appreciate that and and you want to be a part of the community makes you very special, makes the publisher very special. So what, what would you say an author should consider if they're, they're <laughs> before reaching out to a publisher, if they, you know, if they want to go the, tr the traditional publishing route, and maybe why don't we narrow this to working with a, with a small pub smaller publisher, an indie publisher, what would you look for in an author who wants to submit? Well, you know, there are a couple of things. The first thing is that Every publisher, indie, uh, probably not so much with the big ones because you're going to need to approach them in a different way. But an indie publisher will likely have submission guidelines on their website. And just like anything else, we're expecting to work with somebody. So you would hope that they would you know, kind of do a little bit of research before they actually 
send something off to you. I know people get excited and, and maybe it's like late night and they, they think here's the moment and I'm just going to do it and they press send. But uh, I really appreciate it from my perspective as kind of the first door that you come through at Trafalgar. If you've had a look at our submission guidelines, even if you haven't necessarily done dealt with them or applied yourself to all of them at least acknowledge i've looked at your submission guidelines this is what i have is this sufficient so this idea that somebody is interested in your publishing company and they actually took the time to look and see what it is that you do and what you what you request um, i appreciate that the second thing is a pretty simple basic um, honest clear cover letter email right uh, it doesn't need to be clever. I get a lot of people who have overwritten to an extreme and they're trying to compare their book to, you know, Monty Roberts or, or even somebody outside of it, Stephen King or something. And it's so, it's just unnecessary. If you come in with a well-written, clear, simple message to me that has been edited, that there, there are no grammatical mistakes or typos, you haven't spelled my name wrong, then I, you've already got a foot in the door because I'm going to look at that and I'm just going to say, all right, well, let's see what this person has to offer. I get a lot of letters where the first thing I say is, well, they've just dashed this off and haven't thought for a second about what you're doing. Mm. So what is that going to say about, first of all, what you've written, second of all, what you're going to put into your marketing effort, third of all, how you are going to be to work with. And then a, a sense of what it is that you're writing. If you don't already have something written, uh, if you don't already have the things that we ask for in a, in a submission package, which is a basic outline and some sample chapters and uh, an idea of how you're going to market, then it, at least come with a pitch that isn't just an empty, I want to write a children's book and here's the poem that's going to go with it. That That leaves a whole lot of guessing for us. And even if we thought it was really sweet, there's a lot of work you're expecting somebody to put into before we've even said yes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you've already said it, Carly, small business, we're, we're really busy. I'm not trying to make that up my own burden. That's any small business's burden. And I want to give every submission my attention, but I'm more likely to say I'm going to spend time on the submission if you've kind of made that initial effort. And I think that's probably fair to say for most small publishers. I would agree. Or, or for anything in general where you want to partner with someone or work with someone, mm -hmm. be professional, be prepared. Don't yeah. send a hey there, comma, email with, yeah. you, know, just, you know, find out who you're talking to. That is so important. And make it easy for people to say yes to you, yes. right? Absolutely. And, and you mentioned submission guidelines at, at Trafalgar Square. They, people can find them right on your homepage of your website, correct? So they can, they mm -hmm. can. And in addition, they're on my website. If, if for some reason there was a question or for some reason you couldn't find them, uh, there's also a place where you can read about me, about uh, my coworkers, Carolyn and Martha and Kim, and our emails are right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, where, as you said, Carly, we try really hard to invite people to be in touch reach out, send an email, ask a question, and I'll come back to you and let you know you need to do that. You don't need to do that. You know, it's pretty easy. It's not scary. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, very, very friendly, very approachable, very available. And, you know, just do, do your, educate yourself and, and yeah. do, do the work and make it easy for people to say yes. Uh, so yeah. thank you for sharing that. That is, that is so important. And I love that you mentioned marketing a couple times in, in that conversation there. So there is this idea, I think, for some authors or aspiring authors or, or new authors that when you sign with a traditional publisher, you know, big house indie publisher, that you don't have to market, that, that the, the publishing house will do the marketing for you. Now, I know that things have changed. Maybe at one point there was added help, but can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the expectations that Trafalgar Square has for their authors when it comes to marketing. Sure. And I, I can address a little bit, even if you went to a big publisher, I, I try to regularly educate myself and, and I participate in a lot of calls uh, and webinars and such with some other publishers where we all kind of trade ideas and, and kind of current uh, issues within the industry. And it is, it is a fact that even a major publisher now will hesitate before signing an author who has absolutely no presence mm. on social media or online. 
it, it just is a fact. Uh, we're kind of in an age where being able to be promotable and to self-promote is part of being a writer and an author. So that aside, uh, from our perspective, we are willing to do quite a bit of hand-holding if somebody comes because in our specialty area, so horses, we generally acknowledge that most individuals are professional horse people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're riders, they're trainers, they're vets, they're horse communicators, they're just horse care experts, therapists, body workers. They don't write for a living and they also don't do necessarily do social media for a living and they may have very little experience because they're used to being in the barn with their hands on a horse. Mm -hmm. So as long as there is, that is acknowledged when somebody comes to us, I know I have to do this and I'm prepared to do it, then we can help with some initial steps to get a bare bones sort of, if the book is something that we think, oh, we absolutely have to have this for the list, it's really important for horse people, then we can help get somebody started with a kind of bare bones platform. But for the most part, we really pay attention. In fact, of late, we've made some choices and said, this is a book we're on the fence about, but we'll do it because this person has it, like knows, has done the research, has already started a website, has already named this Facebook group, this Facebook group, this Facebook group that they're going to be participating in. Mm -hmm. uh, this person has done some homework in terms of how she can really help promote her book. It, it changes the way we look at a product now. Mm -hmm. Instead of us saying, how are we going to market it? We say, oh, well, we as a team, because that's really the goal. We are now going to support our author and the author is going to be part of that team rather than us telling the author what the author needs to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we, as a small publisher, do our very best to support all of the author's efforts. And then we have our own end of things. Uh, we handle sending out review copies, as we've already talked about. We'll tap all our connections within the industry. Uh, we often will also go a little bit into the mainstream with some of our, our the review copies and our attempts to uh, place excerpts and such. Um, so we kind of handle all of that. We produce materials, as you've seen, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all the support materials. We'll do some graphics for our authors and, and some digital media, media kits and trailers. Uh, that varies from book to book and the needs for that author or those books. Uh, but really, we're prepared to market a book at a certain level. It's always better when the author comes in and we can form a team and then mm. support each other. And it's the, the most successful books have all the players kind of with toes at the line ready to go. That's awesome. And it, it's teamwork, right? It's teamwork mm -hmm. around the marketing and having an author presence and, and having done some groundwork before approaching a publisher is, is becoming more and more and more important. Now, it's, it's, yeah. I like to relate it to uh, my first corporate career was working in the music industry and I was an artist development uh, representative for for Universal Music and I worked in New York City. Mm -hmm. And we had A&R people that would go out into the into the field and to go to concerts and they would find the bands indie bands that had already established a following yeah and because of that following and the fans that were rabid after the work that the indie band did then they would get signed to the yeah. to the record label and I, I feel like that's sort of the direction we're going in with uh with you know publishing with authors you know establish a brand and and then a lot of the success comes with the traditional publishers a lot of authors are hybrid publishing now they're doing a mix of independent publishing and mm -hmm. working with a traditional publisher. And I kind of feel like that is a, that is sort of, we're going to see a lot more of that as, as the industry progresses. Would, would you agree? Yeah, I could certainly see that being the case, especially when there are certain books that are really close to an author's heart that might not necessarily fit with a list. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they have a good working relationship with a publisher. It used to be, for example, that we had published a couple of books with an author who had a couple of books with a different publisher who had, you know, turned down an option in their contract. That book wasn't a fit for that list, but it was a fit for our list. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see that now that there are so many, you know, we all have the capability now to press a button and publish a book. If there's something that you really want to make happen, you can. And like you said, I mean, that, that example of, you know, how you used to find the indie bands with the following is, is really on point because, the first thing I do, I'll look at a, I'll look at the letter and and what has come in. I'll kind of skim the 
proposal, whatever it is, get a sense of whether it's written well enough or interesting enough or there's something there. And then the very next thing I do before I even share it with anybody is I go on and see if I can find the person online. I go on Insta. I go on Twitter. I go on Facebook. I see how many followers they have. And if the person has 30,000 followers, then I've changed, it's changed how I see the proposal already, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just a, it's just a sad fact, but it is a fact because now I'm like, well, if it was a little bit on the fence about what this book was about, but there might be a built-in audience and maybe we can tweak it so that it expands that audience. Mm -hmm. So I think you're dead on with that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that will, that will be so helpful for others to hear that that's an important piece of the puzzle and it's ever, it's going to continue going that way. Everybody's findable these days. You know? yep. um, and you mentioned book trailers. I, first of all, I think your job sounds so exciting and fun. And <laughs> I mean, a lot of work, I get it, you know, working yeah. in a small company, but like so much fun to be able to do these creative endeavors and you create the book trailers. Yep. For, your, for your authors, which is so neat and a, a, tapping into a whole different part of your creative brain. Uh, can you talk about the importance that you feel a book trailer plays into an author's marketing platform? Sure. You know, it's, it's funny because what was it you would know as well as I do uh, two or three years ago when everybody said, Oh, everything is video now. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to, you have to have video, video that nobody's going to pay attention to any written ads or or static ads, everything has to be video. I mean, I think that prediction has, you know, has fizzled a little bit. I think that we we certainly are seeing a lot more video, but people are paying just as much attention to other things, maybe just for differentiation. <laughs> yeah, we started doing book trailers about that time, and uh, they're fun. I mean, they're fun. You're, mm-hmm. in, in our case, we mostly just have static images from the books that I pull, and then, uh, you know, I I... I'm a music person too, so I have a really good time trying to find great music that matches and and the rhythm and and putting it all together so it's something and keeping it at a certain time. Mm. So uh, it's getting shorter and shorter. I think when I first started making uh, book trailers, they said a minute and a half. And now, of course, uh, the gram and and other social, they you know they re- they'll let us have longer videos, but are people really going to watch them? So trying to keep them really short and concise. I think on Pinterest, the my average view time is like twenty seconds. So <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of trying to figure out. I, I guess I'm going to put the branding in there, but then how much more you know are they going to actually absorb? Uh, so I still think that it's a really fun piece of marketing material that authors should have. Um, Generally speaking, I think it's a pretty affordable Mm. and doable piece that you can put together. It has multi-functions. It can go on your website. You can reposition it and use clips on all the different platforms. And now we're being reassured by major marketers and publicists that it's okay to reuse your content. It doesn't have to all be different on Mm. all the different platforms. Uh, So it, I, I would encourage anybody to kind of ha- go ahead and play with that. And there's so we have all of access to stock photography and things like that. So even if you have an unillustrated fiction piece of fiction, you could put something together. That's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for, for sharing that. They, they are fun. And, and you, you, you also create these really beautiful media kits. I am so grateful every time one of your authors reach out, reaches out to me because they, they kind of understand the art of the pitch. They, you know, they write me a nice email and they explain who they are and what they've done and about their book. And then they share these beautiful media kits and links to the book trailer, but these beautiful (laughs) media kits that Trafalgar puts together. Can you talk about what goes into a media kit generally and uh, the value of a media kit for authors as well? Sure. Uh, I think that when we first started doing digital media kits, I first started, I introduced them maybe about five years ago. We don't do them for every book. We do them for books that we want to do a kind of a stronger outreach that, Mm -hmm. because as you know, there's a whole lot of legwork that goes into uh, kind of canvassing for reviews and media interest and excerpts and, uh, and just kind of alerting the, the community uh, that who, the individuals who might be interested in a book and its topic. And so we, we put together this concept where we could link all of the kind of first and important bites rather than sending a kind of piecemeal email with lots of different links or a long email that nobody's going to scroll through um, or a whole bunch of different uh, attachments, which 
most media won't even touch or they might not even make it through spam filters. That's mm. an important thing for people to know. Don't send, don't send attachments. Instead, we can house this PDF digital kit that has um, the author bio, a short blurb, any kind of pre-publication or once the book is published, we often update it so that it includes some, some blurbs and reviews. Uh, our book trailer, link to a book trailer always goes in there. I generally include some some photos if it's a highly illustrated book or if it's, um, lately we've had some memoir, you know, then some author photos. And then I always include an excerpt that distinctly says, uh, this is free to use with this permission line. Uh, again, I'm kind of sharing trade secrets, but, <laughs> you know, the... If you give something to people and make it easy for them, they're more likely to use it. So if you send something out and you want people to pick up an excerpt, you might not even hear from them, but you will Google the name of your book and you will find that a blog somewhere placed your excerpt. And that's a good thing. You want, you want that. Mm -hmm. So I always have that. And then usually a short interview that again says this interview is available to use to reprint um, in, in part or whole, make it really easy. They can take blurbs. They just need to include that credit line. So those are the most important pieces that we include. That's amazing. Thank you for opening up the uh, the, the treasure chest a little there <laughs> and sharing some of that information yeah. with us. But but it's true. I mean, it what you what you do makes it so easy for for people to support your authors because it's all in one package. It doesn't you know it always gets there. They can pick and choose what they want to use to write a beautiful support piece or be prepared to interview your authors and. And it just makes so much sense. So thank you for sharing that. One of the, one of the special things about working with a traditional publisher is uh, distribution. That that's something that is really valuable when when working with a with a publishing house that that is a little more limited on the independent publishing side. Uh, so can you talk to us a little bit about the distribution that comes with working with Trafalgar Square Books? Sure. So we handle distribution into the horse world personally. And the reason that we do that is because we know it. So our viewpoint ever since the days of Sally Swift has been that we actually are the best positioned to pitch to tech shops, online retailers, specialty uh, stores who are horsey and trade shows and people who, who travel because we know that world. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason why you would want your book that's about horses to be edited by somebody who's horsey. Mm-hmm. So we retain that. We handle all of that for our authors. And then uh, we have a, a major trade distributor. Uh, we work with Ingram, and Ingram handles getting our books into Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So they have a sales team, about a dozen people, who we meet with for every trade season. And we go over all of our titles and then they take what we share with them about our books and pitch them to the the various trade outlets, as well as what they call the field, which would be indie bookstores everywhere. And then we also have a distributor in, we work with Quiller Publishing based in the UK. They're our trade partner and they distribute for us in the UK and Europe. And we are distributed in Australia, New Zealand by um, Horse Books Australia. And they're great too. So Mm -hmm. That kind of gives us a nice blanket. Having all of those, it, it can be difficult working with a major trade distributor. They've got deadlines that are really hard to meet and expectations and numbers can be really difficult to juggle, but it's worthwhile in the reach that you get for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> that is something that's more difficult for independent authors is, mm-hmm. is getting into brick and mortar stores and, and yes. reaching like tax shops and bookstores and libraries and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and extending our reach globally too, mm-hmm. uh, is, is something that's a little bit more difficult for independent authors and the real value of working with a, with a publishing house as well. Mm-hmm. So I was, I wanted to ask you too, I mean, what would you say, you know, you work with a lot of authors. So what would you say, I mean, you've already talked about a few of them, but what would you say are the, the qualities or habits an author should develop in order to establish a quality author career? I actually really love this question. I think it's terrific because uh, I think it's really, really important that somebody who wants to be an author or establish a career as an author and perhaps work with a publisher be willing to learn from others and open to learning from others. 
uh, I think you're actually a really good example of kind of that sharing of the wealth and you're always kind of teaching people and also putting people together to try to learn from each other. And I, I really value that because so often, a number of times I've had to work with individuals who come to the table and they already know everything. Mm. I've, I've written this, it's perfect. Uh, no, not going to change a thing. This is what I want the cover to look like. Nope, not going to change a thing. And, uh, you know, that attitude, even if you decided that you're going to self-publish, I think is injurious to your eventual success because you might know a little bit about publishing a book and you might know a whole heck of a lot about courses and whatever your topic is, but others know more about publishing a book than you do. And so be open to what those people can offer you. I just think that's so important. And so often I see, I don't know whether it's ego or just a, a general sense of, I already know what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. so I think that's too bad because there's lost opportunity there. And I think that doesn't matter whether you're self-publishing or being published by an author. Mm -hmm. I, I think a, that's the most important part. Yeah, that is such a such a great point because I think a, what a lot of people don't realize is it takes an army to get a book out successfully. It, it, so many people touch a book and a successful book, especially, and there's a lot of learning curve. But there's you know the cover design, the author writes the book, but then the editor reads it and strengthens it. You know, there's the in the team comes a team does come together even if you're independently published to help the book be successful. But if you think you know it all and you put your blinders on and you don't educate yourself and reach out to people that can help you, you're not putting the very best product forward at all. Well, the way I would liken it is that I could get a hammer and some nails and some wood <laughs> and I could go outside and build a horse barn because I know how to use a hammer and I know what a horse barn looks like. But I can guarantee you that my barn is going to be structurally unsound and it's not going to look very good. And I just don't understand why you wouldn't apply that same sort of idea to creating a book. There are lots of people who can help you make your book structurally sound and make it look good. doesn't mean you have to work with a traditional publisher, but you can find freelance editors. You can find people like you who offer different kinds of services, who have tutorials and education available. Look at that, what people have to offer, listen, and you'll have a better book, I promise. <laughs> That's great advice. Everybody <laughs> take note of what Rebecca just said there. <laughs> That's very, very important. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, and for you, what, what has been the very best part of working in publishing? But on the flip side, what's been the hardest part? I mean, we know that you work in, you're small and you're strapped for time and, and it's a small company, but you know, talk to us a little bit about the best and on the flip side, the hardest part of being in publishing. There are a couple of bests. Uh, one of them is that I really love creating what I create. I, as you know, I, I love books. I always love books from when I was a little girl. I'm, I'm a hard copy book person. I mean, all our books are digital now too, but I like the physical specimen. I like how it looks. I like how it feels in the hands. I like being part of a company that creates something that educates that inspires, that is helping better the world in some little way. And I know it's a little way, but you know, we try really hard to, to publish for the good of the horse. So I, I think that what I'm doing doesn't hurt. It, it helps. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that's really been great about publishing is working with authors uh, who may never have been in my life for any other reason. So getting the opportunity to learn from them, to form friendships with them, um, some of those friendships have lasted years. You know, now they've spanned since I started at Trafalgar, so almost 20 years. You, you become, they become part of your family, and that's pretty special to have a, a line of work that allows for that. Mm. Um, in terms of <laughs> the hardest parts, uh, I kind of hinted at the beginning of the interview that I wanted to be a writer, and that doesn't go away. But when you spend all day, every day, helping other people with their writing and producing their books, that leaves very little time for you to pursue your own. So that kind of dream and that desire just gets shoved to the side and, and it's kind of always on the back burner. <laughs> Talk to us about why it's so, so important to buy books from small businesses. Uh, I know that Trafalgar offers a really awesome loyalty program. Can you talk a little bit about your loyalty program and, and how that helps support 
authors of horse books when, when people use your loyalty program? So this is a topic that's really, really important to, to me, to Martha at our company, and I'm sure to lots of other people. And, and if you're on Twitter or on Instagram at all, you've seen a lot of a, pu- a big push to not box out indie bookstores. And that's a direct reference to Amazon. And uh, essentially, if I can boil it down really simply, we have now been conditioned by Amazon, who we sell a lot of books through. I, I have to admit that, but we have been condi- conditioned as, as a population to believe that books are worth a certain amount of money. And that's why they're a lot cheaper on Amazon than they would. That's why you see it like $13 cheaper and it's all willy nilly. They change the prices all the time. It's according to their algorithm. But that doesn't reflect when we come up with a retail price, that retail price reflects the hours of time that went into producing that book. It reflects the hours of time the author put into producing that book. It reflects the production of that book. So freelance designers, indexers, printers, shippers, all the things that went to then make sure that we can sell enough of that book to keep our business going. Amazon gives you a really steep discount because they squeeze small publishers Mm. for a deeper and deeper discount and they do it every year. They ask for more and we can't say no because everybody expects to be able to find their books on Amazon. You'd have to be a really strong, robust indie publisher who felt really good about people coming to your website to be able to say no more Amazon. Indie bookstores are located in each of our small towns. They are part of your local community. They They hire local people. They, they, the dollars stay right in and around your community when you support them. They take this, the discount that has always been the discount that we've always kind of established as a fair resale, retail discount with a publisher. I highly recommend that whenever you buy a book, you either buy it from your local bookstore um, or you go publisher direct which I'll talk about a little bit more in a moment. Most publishers have a website you can order from. And there's also this really great website that competes in a great way with Amazon in terms of if you want your book right away kind of syndrome called bookshop.org. And they donate part of all their proceeds directly to indie bookstores and indie bookstores become part of their ecosystem essentially. So by buying from them, you're supporting basically a big online portal for indie bookstores mm. rather than competing directly against them if you buy from Amazon. Uh, at Trafalgar, and I know other publishers do this too, and indie bookstores, I'm sure, as well, we have a loyalty program. Whenever you come and buy, if you sign up and you have a little profile, and we don't ask for a lot of private information, uh, you get points. We call them horse book bucks. And they accrue so that the next time you come, you'll have earned a certain number of dollars from your first purchase. And you can apply that amount to your next purchase if you want, or you can continue to save them. And so the more you buy from us, the more you can eventually save from us. I mean, I watch, I get really excited because the orders come through and I watch people save $15 on their next order because they had accrued so many horse book bucks Mm -hmm. on their last order. And it's just one of our little ways to say, thank you. Uh, we don't have to give the huge discount that we're giving to Amazon. So why not pass it along to our customer? That's one of the things we can do. We can also give you free shipping this way. So we try really hard to offer some benefits. What happens for us is that our author makes a bigger royalty. The author, I all it's a whole complicated conversation, but in a contract, authors get certain royalties for certain amount, numbers of discounts and Amazon's discount means the author gets a smaller royalty. So if you buy directly from us, the author gets a bigger royalty. And we also aren't suffering that same monetary hit. So it's good for the small business and it's good for the author. Oh man, let's support our independent <laughs> bookstores <laughs> and, and our publishers. And that's a that's a great program. I'm so glad we had an opportunity to talk about that. And uh, yeah, the, the, the squeeze from, from the big guys is always there for for those of us working in small business. So, Mm -hmm. so thank you for explaining that. Has anything happened or blossomed uh, since you started your career with Trafalgar Square Books that you wouldn't have expected? Like, have you met anybody like amazing or like, were you ever starstruck or 
you know, you mentioned friendships and you mentioned, you know, you get to be creative and has anything like really blown your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) a starstruck, certainly, uh, there are, it's really funny. Martha and I often, my colleague Martha and I often talk about if people only saw our cell phones or if 11 year old me could see my cell phone now, um, the, the, the Olympians and the individuals who I have the opportunity to, to call and expect that person to pick up is, is pretty special. Uh, we try really hard not to abuse that. And, uh, but still the idea that, that I could walk, you know, into, I could walk up to somebody at a horse show and that individual would recognize me and, and we could have a civil conversation when I was 12, that person was my idol. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty special occurrence. The thing that's probably been the most life-changing that I wouldn't have expected is, is the graphic design part of my job. I never aspired to be a graphic designer and I now I've, I have designed hundreds of book covers at this point and I do all our advertising and everything. And I, that was born of the fact that I was always telling our designers at the time early in my career, how I wanted things to look. And I found it really frustrating that they didn't get my vision. Mm. And so I went to night school. It was while I was pregnant with my son. So I was in night school working at Trafalgar and pregnant and got my certificate in graphic design. And that has led to obviously a blossoming of an entirely different side of me, my creative self, my job. I've done freelance work because of that. Um, and that's totally just because of, of starting this, this career as I did and never expected it. it came out of nowhere. That is so cool. And I actually just interviewed Jean, Jean Abernathy uh, on the podcast and she's one of your authors and she was raving about your layout skills inside of for the Fergus book. And it's, it's the newest Fergus book, which is just now out. And, you know, I just, that you can do this. I mean, this is yeah. amazing. And, <laughs> and thank you for gifting me a copy of the book as well uh, for me to review or review a copy. But she was raving about you. And, and that's so exciting to be able to take, I mean, because you're working in two worlds. I mean, you're working in business, but you're also able to expand those creative muscles. And that is, that is so neat. Yeah, special. Yeah. And so, Rebecca, what what's next? What are you curious about? I know there's a novel in you, but you know, where where are you going? What are you thinking? Oh, that I mean, that's that's absolutely like when I have a chance to breathe. And in fact, I'm always working on it. I've got three or four different books um, that I work on in my in my free time. And as soon as I have that breathing room, I mean, you know, you're a writer. You need you need that that mental space and that creative space. And I have the ideas and I have the the desire to make it happen. So it's just a matter of making it a priority. That'll make me happy to actually see that through because it's been a lifelong, it's what I was, you know, I was writing stories when I was in fourth grade, you know, this has been what I wanted to do. So one of these moments, uh, you'll have me back on and we'll talk about my book. <laughs> hey, it's, I, that would be amazing. I mean, what, what's interesting about this journey and, and your want to write a novel is it's almost like you you got educated on everything that goes into creating a book first and then, you, yeah. and then you're going to write your novel. So it's like, I mean, once it comes out, it's like it's, it's going to just expand. But yeah, I mean, the writing of the books is always the most challenging part of the author life. And, um, but is it, is it a horse book? Well, I have different books. I have a, a couple of just kind of literary fiction works that I've been picking away at over the years. And then I have two different horse-related books that I've been working on. So, yeah, all fiction. I, you know, I've done the, I co-wrote with Linda Tellington-Jones, a, a nonfiction book, and I work with nonfiction all the time. So mm-hmm. that's, that's not really what what I really want to do. I want to, I want to make up stories. So <laughs> that is so exciting. And yes, we will definitely have you back on the show when you have your, your yeah. own fiction out into the world and uh, we'll do a follow-up and Rebecca, I, you know, thank you so much for the gift of your time today. And thank you for peeling back, you know, the layers a little bit or opening the curtain on what it's like to work with a traditional publisher. I know that the authors listening into this episode are going to get a ton of value from listening to what you had to say today. Would you share with listeners where they can find you, Trafalgar Square, and all the amazing books that your authors produce? Yeah. 
Um, you can find us online at horseandriderbooks.com. And my email address is r d-i-d-i-e-r, didier, at trafalgarbooks.com. It's also, you can find that on our website. Like I said, feel free to be in touch. I'm not scary. Uh, mm-hmm. It might take me a few days to get back to you, but I'm not scary. We also have toll-free number. So if you have questions or just want to reach out and say hello, 800-423-4525. We love hearing from people. So even if you don't want to write a book, even if you just have a suggestion about a book that should be part of the equestrian lexicon, we want to hear from you. So bring it. Come on. Yep. And you have a YouTube channel too. And you, and social we do. Yeah. Most of those you can all find, I think they're all at horse and rider books. Please do find us on all the social media uh, channels like us, follow us. We give away books. Sometimes there are opportunities to meet our authors and such. So Perfect. And I will link to all those places in the show notes so your listeners can get directly to you and they do a lot of fun things on their social channels. So you definitely want to follow them there. And if you're going to reach out to Rebecca and you're an author, read those submission guidelines, right? (laughs) Absolutely. First test. (laughs) Make her life easier and and don't say, hey there. Say, hello, Rebecca. (laughs) Personalize it. You know who you're writing to. Exactly. Rebecca, thank you so much for the gift of your time today. I've so enjoyed having you on the show and let's do it again soon. Yeah, it was really fun, Carly. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.